May your scripture always be my delight, O Lord. May I not be deceived in them, and may I not deceive by them. Amen. In 1920, a patrol of British soldiers stopped one night to set up camp in the ruins of an old Roman city that sat on a cliff overlooking the Euphrates River. In the process of leveling some ground in order to pitch a tent, one of them came across a wall covered with paintings that were clearly ancient. So the officer in charge radioed headquarters to, to inform them of this chance discovery. And since there were some American archeologists in the neighborhood, they were called in to examine the art and the site. And the site was then duly excavated. It turned out to be the old city of Dura Europos, one of a series of fortified cities that the Romans had along the eastern boundary of their empire in order to defend themselves against their ancient enemies, the Persian Sassanids. Over the years, Dura Europos was frequently the object of Sassanid attacks, the last of which took place in 257 AD, a little less than two and a half centuries after the crucifixion. In that last attack, in order to defend the city, the Romans had thrown up a large earthen rampart against the interior of the city walls. And in the process, they filled in all of the buildings that lay against the walls. So when the archeologists came to excavate the city, those buildings were largely intact. And one of them turned out to be a little Christian church. In those days, churches were house churches, private homes, where the small Christian communities used to assemble. And one wing of this church, which was built around a courtyard, was an assembly hall with an altar at the west end, and off that wing, a separate room that served as a baptistry. And on the walls of that little house church, there were paintings portraying various scenes from the Bible. And in the baptistry, there was a painting that represented today's gospel story from Matthew. It was a very popular story in the early church, and for good reason, because it's a splendid illustration of what the biblical writers understood faith to be, and unfaith too. In both the Old and New Testaments, Faith is, simply, is something simply more than believing that God is. It's more than believing that God is trustworthy, God is dependable, God is loving, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is immutable, you line it up. The faith concept includes, as one of my colleagues used to say, running the risk of believing it, running the risk of trying it, running the risk of trusting it. And so you can see in this narrative, this understanding is dramatized to good effect. Let's just look at it. For Jesus, it's been a long day. He's been dealing with a crowd of people somewhere along the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, healing the sick, 
and finally feeding them with a few fish and some small loaves of bread. And he wants to be alone. He wants to pray. He wants to reflect. And so he sends the disciples home in the boat and dismisses the crowd, and he seeks out a quiet place to pray. The afternoon wanes and the evening comes on, and with it, the breeze from the west, and the breeze begins to stiffen so the disciples out there in the boat can make little headway against it. And all night long they row and they row and they row and they row into the face of it, but they get nowhere. The wind and the sea are too much for them. In the morning, after a long night's struggle, Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and he comes to them quite unbidden. When they see him, they don't know what to make of it. They think he's a ghost and they're afraid. And then he says to them these words, which the deity addresses throughout scripture to any and to all who have the ears and who will listen to him. It is I. Don't be afraid. Well, Peter takes Jesus very seriously. He believes that Jesus is reliable and trustworthy and dependable, and he believes that he can run the risk of trusting him. And I suppose the others who were in the boat felt the same way, but Peter not only believes it, he wants to act on it. And so Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it really is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come on. And so he got out of the boat and he started to walk on the water. He believed that he could trust Jesus and he was prepared to run the risk of doing so. And that makes the impossible possible until he saw what he was doing. And then he lost his focus it was no longer on Jesus, it was on himself. And with that, he lost his faith and down he went. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. This near disaster had a salutary effect because it reminded him of where his security really lay, not in himself, not even in his right belief in Jesus. Instead, it lay in running the risk of trusting him. Lord, save me, he cried. And Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Because faith means not only believing that Jesus is trustworthy, but it also means actually running the risk of trusting him. As I said, this story was very popular in the early church and it was used again and again, not only for the purposes of instruction, but also to comfort and to encourage the frightened. But in order to appreciate how it was understood, it's necessary to keep in mind, as they will have done, certain images and pictures from the Old Testament. The Hebrews had inherited from the surrounding culture a creation myth that was widespread in, the, in antiquity, a creation myth that described described the original act of creation as involving God in a desperate struggle with the forces of chaos and evil, which were identified with and embodied in the wind and the sea. 
Ultimately, of course, God was victorious, but this image of the hostile sea recurs frequently in the Psalms, in the prophets, in the Torah, and in the New Testament lesson for today. Here's an example from it in a quote from the second chapter of Jonah. I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. The sea for the Hebrews and for the people who were in that early Christian community symbolized all that threatened the individual or the community. And the ability to control it, to be delivered from its power, that was a characteristic sign of God's presence. And it's that capacity to face fearlessly the threatening forces of evil in whatever form they come, in illness, in family chaos, in economic uncertainty, in a cloudy future. That's what Peter was looking for, and that's what many of us are looking for today. And this story profoundly offers the Christian witness, put your hand into the outstretched hand of God, and that will make all the difference. As I stood in the ruins of that little church many decades ago, I thought to myself, what was it like to be a Christian in third century Dura Europas? What was it like to be part of a very small minority, surrounded by a culture dominated by the military, surrounded by pagans with their temples, the objects of mockery and scorn, which is, after all, the fate of most minorities. But most certainly here, whatever the case may have been in the interior of Dura Europas, there certainly was a threat from the exterior because they were always under threat from the Sasanids. Well, of course, you could always leave. You could start off for Aleppo. The roads were good. The Romans built them. But that was a problem, too, because the neighboring tribes were utterly lawless. And they lived off the booty that they acquired by raiding small people, groups that were foolish enough to travel unaccompanied by military protection. And even military protection didn't guarantee security. Life inside the community was dangerous. It was lonely. It was insecure. And outside, it was also dangerous. They were surrounded everywhere by manifold apprehensions. They were locked in. They were trapped, just like many of us today, alone, afraid, uncertain, insecure, locked in, trapped. And this story obviously spoke to them, as it can to those of us who will listen today. It's a very simple message. Put your hand into the hand of God, and that will make all the difference. Or, to use words from a little hymn that those of you who grew up in the Methodist or the Baptist church will know well, 
souls in danger. Look above. <clears throat> Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea. Billows his will obey. He your Savior wants to be. Trust him today. Amen. Oh,